Welcome to the Jazz Shapers podcast from Mishkondorea. What you're about to hear was originally broadcast on Jazz FM. However, the music has been cut due to rights issues. This is Jazz Shapers with Elliot Moss on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Listening colour. Good morning. Welcome to Jazz Shapers. It's where the shapers of business join the shapers of jazz, soul and blues. My guest today, I'm very pleased to say, is Daniel Taylor, founder of MDC Group, the award-winning office interior design company. Daniel's parents, part of the Windrush generation arriving in the UK in the 50s, wanted him to understand where they came from. So Daniel was sent to Jamaica for his early schooling. Thriving academically and earning his first graduate job as a designer, he was determined to excel. I always pushed myself further, he said. I never accepted my level. Daniel's focus on career development and his rise to the position of European Managing Director led him to promise to his wife that he'd slow down. <laughs> but in 1998, and you can hear the laughs already, he founded boutique design and build company MDC Group, a family business challenging the preconceptions of the industry and embracing diversity and inclusion in the workplace. MDC has an all-women executive team and 75% of the workforce are BAME. Clients include the BBC, Boeing, the Conservative Party and Disney. I've been doing my homework, Daniel. It's really lovely to meet you. And I love all the stuff that you created, that, or the things I've seen that you've created. Tell me, you look like a happy man to me. Well, the, the, And I, if that's I, true, why? Well, I, I hate Mondays. You know, nobody talks to me on Mondays. <laughs> Fridays, I'm a superb guy. But, yeah, because <laughs> I look, look forward to the weekend. Um, yeah, I, I always look at life in a very positive way. You know, I'm thankful for some of the blessings that uh, I have and uh, have achieved and where I'm going. A beautiful family helps that, knowing that they're doing well. When you have a, a great partner like what I have, she makes me happy. And the business. I mean, you, you've been running your own business now for, sounds like, over 20, 20 22 years. 22 years. Yeah. Is that, I mean, like you know, I meet lots of people who run their own business, and my mum ran her own business, which means I was there with a front row seat of what it's like, the ups and downs. More ups than downs for you? Do you know, when you run a business like ours and you look at the most disappointing part of the year is when you start the new year because you start with a, a clean balance sheet and you've got to make it all back again. So you, ha you have to build the pipeline. The second bad part of the year is when you have to pay your taxes. <laughs> Apart from that, it's all good. Oh, it's all good. <laughs> and tell me, when you decided to do your own thing, what was it that tipped you over? As we said in the introduction, you know, you promised to your wife that you were going to slow down. And then, oh, I know what, darling, I'm going to set up my own business. What made you do that at that moment, if you can remember? Well, I, I started my own business because I had gone through a really strong growth in my business life uh, with doing a lot of traveling. I mean, I, I traveled to Czechoslovakia when it was Czechoslovakia, not Slovak and, and Czech Republic. Um, Kuwait, uh, Qatar, sorry, I should say, when I've uh, been Kuwait as well. Qatar, when it was only one hotel, uh, I think it was the Radisson or whatever it's called, and, and then now it's dwarfed by buildings everywhere. Being in a Russia, when in Moscow, walk, uh, when they would look at black people and touch your hair type of thing, because they only see people like me on National Geographics. Um, um, back home, I'm there fighting the corporate life by making the Friday phone calls to the US, the phone calls to the Far East on the Mondays and so forth. And my life was really heavily driven as, as a corporate animal. So I kind of missed 
the, the growing up of my, my two elder children. So we kind of two-steer family. So, you know, uh, my eldest boy's turning 30, daughter's turning uh, 29, and then the next tier is down is 21 and 18. And uh, uh, I said to the wife, right, I've got a good couple of good clients. A lot of my clients become friends. That's how I like to work. Uh, if you look at all our big uh, stuff we've done over the years, I become friends. I ingratiate myself into their lives and vice, vice versa for me. And I said to my wife, I've got a couple of good clients who are good friends and they said they will support me. And, uh, and so it happens that they're number one and number two in their industries, which I didn't quite pick that one, that part up, you know, and how aggressive they were as competitors for the industries. So I was running up and down uh, in my car. My, my other designer worked from his bedroom. And the first year we did something like 1.7 million, I think it was. Second year we did about um, just under 3 million. And my accountant said, you need to stop. You only have two clients. If one of them goes, you have no business. And that's when I made a decision about whether it's going to be a lifestyle business or a legacy business. That was a critical decision when I did that. Before I talk about the difference between legacy and lifestyle, I just want to take you back one more, one more time. So your confidence basically tipped you over to say, do you know what, I was, I'm, I'm, tell me if I'm putting words mm. in your mouth because you can say I'm wrong. The corporate life was fine, but if I'm slogging that hard, I may as well do it for myself. Absolutely. Was that the, the, the basic thing? Absolutely. And then the confidence because clients said they'll come with you? Yes. Okay. And when your accountant pointed out, excuse me, Daniel, it's going a bit fast and you're growing and all this, how did you then ensure that you could match the requirements that a legacy business necessitates versus a lifestyle business because lifestyle business we all know people do that and I have full respect mm. for them couple of things they stop they start but actually it just sort of fits in with a gentler way of living you didn't choose that no I, I decided to build assets uh, build structure and assets proper structure and assets so our, our first office was on the Woolworth Road um, in southeast London which when at the time Woolworth Road McDonald's had a, a ban of people wearing uh, crash helmets going inside of it you know and uh, uh, people were getting shot in front of Marks and Spencers and stuff of that on that road and uh, we converted a church hall for our office um, and um, I decided to buy the building refurbish it and then uh, hire staff uh, different levels um, I always felt myself uh, what if I ever get sick so if I got sick, I've created an infrastructure which protects me and my family, you know, and not put it all on the on the on the edge, on on the line, um, going forward. And uh, it was a critical decision. And and when you look at BAME or Blacks uh, in this country, that's where the difference becomes either a legacy or a lifestyle. People look at the short termism by lifestyle wearing nice clothes, mm. buying a fast car, you know, you might buy a ha house or, you know, but you don't, you don't think about next week. You don't really and, why, and why is that, Daniel? Why is it that you, A, you think that, uh, and then B, you, aren't, you have chosen not to be like that? I had a responsibility to, to, to my family and to my staff to ensure that, they, that I built up a legacy, a structure which protects the future of our business as best as I can. But where did that responsibility come from? Where does that sense within you come from versus just going, Daniel Taylor, number one, thank you very much, because you're, you're, you're the opposite of that. Yeah, I'm, I'm the opposite, but I'm, I'm a person who likes to, to win and, and also like to see my 
wins being something I've I've achieved, and that could be completing the first uh, Facebook office, which we did, or it might be the the first cashless estate agents, which we did with Daniel Ford, for instance, or the first cashless bank, which we've done with Jamaica National Bank, which is opening. It, I get off on that. And because of that leadership I, I show, I try some of the designers who have worked with me over the years have become rounded, creative and informative people, more than will ever be if they work with somebody else. I've read somewhere, and you can tell me if this is correct or not, that the that you were sent, as I mentioned earlier, to your sent to Jamaica. I say sent. Yeah. Yeah. It may have felt like you were sent. Sent to your grandparents' farm. Um, you were up at four thirty every morning, apparently, to feed the animals. Didn't <laughs> see your family or London home for a few years. Um, and I've got a quote here from the Sunday Times, quite a few years ago. I heard from my mother only by letter. If I could turn the clock back, would I do it again? No. <laughs> and yet here we are. Here we are, a guy in front of me, super successful, resilient, strong. I'm going to push back on that. Would you be this person if it hadn't have been super hard? Or would, could you have become this person anyway without all the pain? No, no, no. The, the, that, that, that was a critical decision. I, I, I owe who I am today by my parents making that, that critical decision. You know, it, in the 70s, that was a big decision uh, to, to have made. I mean, they, they gave up a lot to, to send me there in the first Were there place. peers of yours? Were, there, were, were your parents' friends doing the same thing? No. So this was unusual? Yeah, oh, absolutely. It was unusual to send back. It's more like they send from there to here, but to uh, send back. And my, my, my parents did it because they felt that um, um, with me, they, they, they felt if I didn't do something, I could end up going in the dark side being criminal or or do something wondrous on the white side you know and using the the colorisms as being negative and positive um i got uh, sent over to jamaica and um stayed there for years and you know you, you you really appreciate the small things like electricity um uh, uh water running water a toilet indoors you know, our toilet in my grandparents place is a five minute walk up a hill you know um or things like when you, you know, we go to the supermarkets and we buy food uh, and meats for argument's sake and imagine that i actually used to feed somebody which i would end up being the food on our plate you know it makes you want to become a vegetarian that's the reason why i don't i would say no um i always threaten it to my my two youngest boys i'm going to ship them back <laughs> yeah. I can hear you saying it, boys. If you don't behave, yeah, you know what's coming. Yeah, we ship you back, and you're going to learn the hard way. <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, um, I think the hard way seems to have worked mm. for you. Stay with me for much more from my guest today. It's Daniel Taylor. He'll be back in a couple of minutes. Right now, though, we're going to hear a taster from the Michigan Academy Digital Sessions. They can be found on all the major podcast platforms. Michigan is Victoria Pigger and Dr. Rebecca Newton, organizational psychologist and CEO of Coach Advisor discuss the impact of women in positions of leadership and on boards. The Mishcon Academy Digital Sessions. Conversations on the legal topics affecting businesses and individuals today. Do you think there's anything specific that we can do to prevent the impact that many women find maternity leave has on their career trajectory? Yes, and I think some organisations do this very well. 
There's the question of, is this about having taken maternity leave or is this a question of having X amount of time out of the business in terms of your momentum? I'd say the pre-work that you do before maternity leave, like planning how things will work when a woman wants to come back to work and how that will work and, and to be strategic about as quickly as possible rebuilding that momentum is important. The other thing that, which is important for, for women who are going on maternity leave, but it's also important for people around them to understand is you don't actually know how you're going to feel about coming back to work until you're in that position and until you are deciding when to come back to work and, and after you've, you know, had the baby and started maternity leave. So I just encourage organizations to make sure that this isn't just box ticking of the kind of return to work plan and things, but having meaningful conversations with women as individuals, making sure that we are as flexible as possible, clear that we are as supportive as possible, that we're excited to have them back and want to do everything that we can in order to support them as they regain momentum with their work and, and their business. And the other reason this is important to do is that increasingly men are taking longer periods of paternity leave as well. So this isn't just a women's issue. This is something for all parents and for other people as well. I think there's things where people want to step out and take periods of time away from their work. And, you know, the more flexible we can be as leaders in an organization, you know, we're more likely to create environments where there is real mutual trust and respect and, and you're likely to keep the best people or to have them come back, to have them be successful in the organization. The Mishcon Academy Digital Sessions. To access advice for businesses that is regularly updated, please visit mishcon.com. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. You can enjoy all our former Jazz Shapers and hear this very program again with Daniel by popping Jazz Shapers into your podcast platform of choice. Or if you have a smart speaker, you can ask it to play Jazz Shapers and there you'll find many of the recent shows. But back to today, it's Daniel Taylor, founder of MDC Group, the office interior design company. So you are who you are because of where you've been, I guess, yes. literally, in your case, geographically, uh, uh, as well as everything else. Um, conscious decision to employ um, a very diverse group of people that work for you and was it conscious because it's the right thing to do or just as in a moral thing or because for a business point of view it's just the right thing to do and it makes sense and there is a distinction yeah there is and with respect to the last 10 years where it's become a, a, that much of an issue when when I started out it was an issue I, I actually hired for attitude and train them for skills it so happened to be white black yeah if you were a black person in front of me or an Indian person you were good at a job uh, I, I got a good vibe from I mean, you, you got the job and my policy was to educate the staff to push them more beyond and give them that element of common sense it just so happens that I was a very in fact one stage I had people from all over the world in our office. And I actually used to have client walkarounds and I could say, I can show you that I cover the planet uh, on, on continents inside this office. And then I used to also make jokes. I, I, I won a job a few years back for the NHS, did a 999 call centre uh, too, which I won silver awards for. 
um, filmed by the BBC. And when I did the pre-qualification documents, it said it, one of the questions was, what was your diversity policy? So I actually got everybody out front of the office and photographed it and put the photograph as the statement. And they they came back and the, the guy said, that's an interesting way. I said, well, how do I write a policy about me, how I feel? You know, diversity should come as a natural thing where you should be doing the right thing. Color, should we all are equal, you know, and you should not judge people because of what their, their gender or their color, we're all equal. Uh, and for me... Over, especially over the last five, six years, I've become more militant within my own business to drive it and then ask other businesses to follow it. Uh, and to me, um, it's an obvious thing that mm. you, you hire based on talent yeah. rather than colour or gender and anything else. And any, uh, we would agree on this, and it's any right-minded person will go, well, obviously. Yeah. The challenge has been finding the talent potentially because people say well it's harder to find talent in the black community or whatever have you seen that or is that a myth that needs busting it's a myth you know especially when you look at big businesses big businesses do recruitment in a, in a very tunnel vision way sometimes and they, they don't understand how to open up their horizons i've met some amazing talents uh, which come from socially deprived areas, which may never go to the, the, your typical Ivy League uh, schools, but you need to go out there. So I used to only hire, for instance, from universities like Bournemouth, which have a very open and creative mind in, in training designers. But it, it seems to be also from social deprived backgrounds because of the cost and where, where, where it is. But I like the way they were, were doing it and I actually shone the Cambridge kind of elitist type chap because I, I'm saying you don't really need you're going to come here and tell me this is uh, how I've been trained and I want to train this guy mold him help him push him up and then guide him and that person will probably do more for the world than this guy over here who's from Cambridge and if you look at over the years, I probably have hired you know, must be three, four hundred people over the years, and I, I, I could tell you, I've never hired somebody who worked for one of my competitors to come and work for me because he's good. I think he comes with luggage. I prefer to build them up. The last six months, forget COVID for a moment, which is which is here. It's also been um, an amazing time for this movement called Black Lives Matter. Yeah. Um, Ever since I was a kid, and I'm hurtling towards 50, Daniel, I know I only look 30, thank you, before you even say, I can see it in your eyes, thank you. <laughs> um, you know, ever since I was a kid, uh, and I'm a politics student, so obviously maybe I'm, I read a bit more about race and things, it's always been an issue, but I've never seen it pop in the way it has done in the last six months into the, the front pages mm. and the middle page. It's always been a thing that people discuss in serious mm. circles, well, we've mm. got a race issue here. It's pretty clear there's a major race issue. For you, has that affected anything that you've been doing in the world of practical business, part one? And part two, yes or no, I'm interested on that side, but emotionally, has it affected you? Well, that's a very, very good question. Um, on the business front, um, it's made bigger corporations relate to us better. 
it's been interesting discussions which I've had with some some big big businesses, and uh, sadly, with what's happened over the last five months, there will be some good out of it on the business front. Emotionally, it's been a roller coaster of a ride because it it highlights that in my years of being on this planet, things haven't moved a hell of a lot. You know enough that we it took a live feed to then let everybody focus that we have a problem. But that problem's always been there, isn't it? It's just just the media shows it in different ways. But when it when you get on the internet, which wasn't around in my day, it focuses your mind, and it also makes it makes us have a conversation with people who do not look like us to have a discussion, which openly will change things for the future. The politics around this, mm. and generally you being a political animal, <laughs> has your life uh, connected to politics? And for those who don't know, Daniel is engaged in, in the world of politics in his own way, as, as many of us are, but to, to different uh, levels and so on. Has the race issue been there for you? Or has it been about a different kind of politics? As in, you know, you're generally, if you're if you're a Labour Party supporter, then you believe in the welfare state, you believe in support, you believe in a safety net. If you're a conservative um, politician, you believe in the free market and so on and so forth. Race in there is either part of that agenda or it's not. And you just said then, you know, it's it's the truth is in your lifetime, things haven't shifted very much. What, what What's your relationship been like with race and politics? Well, that's a, another interesting question. Uh, funny enough, I tread the, the, the middle line with all of them. For instance, I, I'm working with Sean Bailey for, for London Merrill. Um, uh, Sean being conservative, and, um, and my attitude is is that this is the first black person who's going to openly run the the one of the largest cities on the planet. Now, whether or not your politics is you know Labour, Liberal, or whatever, this is an opportunity for all of us to see a, a real change at a very senior level. So I'm supporting Sean. On the flip side, I also believe in the welfare system. So I'm very happy to sit with people on the Labour Party side say, you know, we should be doing more. You know, you should be helping more, you know. And I have those direct, kind of clear questions uh, uh, because I'm very comfortable with myself. And uh, I don't believe, uh, this is a a statement you you might might have heard. I always look at people when, you know, you use the same bathroom as I do. So, you know. So why should I be scared of what, you know, the worst you can say is no. So I ask. So I'm fortunate that I can have the conversations where a lot of people do not have the confidence uh, or comfortable to have those conversations. So when the pandemic uh, happened, I picked up the phone, called up the uh, some of the contacts I have within the Conservatives. Are we going to go to lockdown? And the word was, it's coming. So I had to then spread the word we need to start getting the life rafts and start making moves so yeah politics from uh, situations what, what you described it, it's 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 a tough one uh, for me but I, I feel I, I'm I've been able to navigate through the political side and the emotional that and the business side has become uh, an easier discussion at a higher level Stay with me for my final chat with Daniel Taylor. Um, Plus, we're playing a track from Monty Alexander. That's in just a moment. Please don't go anywhere. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mish Condorea. It's business. 
but it's personal. Daniel Taylor is my business shaper. He's the founder of the MDC Group. You're obviously a person with deep-seated values, yeah, which come from the lived experience you've yeah. had um, and just who you are anyway. I think mm-hmm. even regardless of whether you'd gone back and and toiled on the farm, you probably still would have been pretty much the same kind of person. <laughs> I'm, I, I get, I'm yeah. guessing. Your MBE that you received, which was for your work in the business community, fantastic. The other side of it, though, is that these values have translated into you doing a hell of a lot that's not in the business community directly. Um, Tell me a little bit about the work that you do and why you do that. Well, I supported a number of charities, um, but uh, I was fortunate. I was one of the founding trustees of the Create Skills Council with Lord Hall, Tony Hall. Um, And I also support um, organisations like the Black British Business Awards with... uh, Individuals like Karen Blackett, who's one of the judges on the, on that board, and I've been around, and my business has supported it ever since it founded five, six years ago. The Powerless uh, magazines, I've supported them from for the last 10 years as, as an individual and as a business. Um, and then recently, the Alito Foundation with Sir Kenneth Olise, who's our chairman, and, uh, and there we focus on the future leaders, black leaders. Um, and you're also asked, I know, to go and talk to big businesses, medium-sized businesses about yeah. being a senior black person um, in business. Do you get joy from all these things or is it more is it more just part of the wider responsibility that you've taken on yourself mm-hmm. because you just think it's the right thing to do? I mean, how does it work for you? Why do you, why do you get so involved in all these other areas beyond your own business? I'm a person who's fascinated with the 60s and the role models of the 60s, the Martin Luther Kings, the JFKs, you know, the Malcolm Xs, and the list goes on. And I watch everything ever done or read anything which, is, which has happened through that era. And what, what's what quite clear is that you always got to continue a message. You've got to get the message out. And I feel that I'm at a juncture of my life where I need to, whenever somebody asks me, do you mind? I normally say yes. It's very rare I say no. Um, and I think that by just hearing me, I'm hoping that somebody can relate to it because I'm not coming here saying, you know, I'm a Ivy League individual or, you know, a, a silver spoon. Or, you know, I did it from the hard way up to where I am now. And um, where I think I'm going in the future, where I should be going in the future. So I, I'll, I'll talk to my Bane brothers, that especially that uh, our young people need to be influenced. They need to see direction, need to have faith and hope. And faith and hope should not be by people who rap or kick a football or whatever in sports. Hope can be the lawyer, the engineer, the doctor, the architect, the designer, the politician. We should be telling our young people those are great goals. Mm. Just before I let you go, because that's and those words are really important that you've mm. just said, you mix and you mention some names, important people, people of society. One last thing before I ask you your song choice. How have you, Daniel, to me, retained, because it seems to me that you are this person, how have you retained your humility? You come in here, we talk, it's as if you're just another guy. And yet, actually, under the bonnet of Daniel Taylor is immense talent, super values, unbelievable success. And yet we're just having a chat. So where does that come from, that groundedness? 
Um, uh, well, it's got to be my father. You know, my father was a, a motor mechanic. Well, he, he, when he came came here, he trained to be a mechanic, worked for one of the uh, oldest dealerships, Nail and Roots, uh, Vauxhall dealer. And my father was one of those individuals who understood the system. So at the time, he would work privately for his bank manager, work privately for his lawyer. He worked privately for his insurance guy and um, built up his own network. And so he was quite a humane person. And he was the first person I ever knew who actually had a Barclay card. (laughs) I knew nobody who had the In those days, having a Barclay card was a massive deal, you know, and uh, he had a Barclay card. He was a mechanic, you know, Um, and he always would understand how to gravitate, how to talk to people, how to relate to people. And no matter where you sit in life, you should be able to do that. And I'm pretty good at that. I would say you're pretty good at that. It's at least a 9.5 out of 10. Uh, it's you. been lovely talking to you, Daniel. Thank you so <laughs> no, much for, for your you. time. Just before I let you go, what's your song choice and why have you chosen it? Well, I'm an incognito, massive fan. And uh, bearing in mind from the days of the light of the world and brilliant um, and bluey, who I uh, adore uh, as an individual, it's Above the Night. Incognito with Above the Night. The song choice of my business shaper today, Daniel Taylor. What if I ever get sick, he said. This is a man who was focused on building a legacy business and putting in all the infrastructure that needs to go underneath that to make that happen. You need to go out there, he said, of finding the best talent, whatever colour or gender that may be. And finally, he's on a mission. He talked about getting the message out. And I thought that was really, really powerful stuff. That's it from me and Jazz Shapers. Have a lovely weekend. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mish Kondorea. It's business, but it's personal. We hope you enjoy that edition of Jazz Shapers. You'll find hundreds more guests available for you to listen to in our archive. To find out more, just search Jazz Shapers in iTunes or your favourite podcast platform or head over to mishcon.com forward slash jazz shapers.